Good morning and welcome to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement. This morning we'll be having a discussion with my friend Nick Hoffman, author of He Was There All the Time, When We, Re- when we Return. Contact on Connect FM is brought to you in part by Community County Services for local family-based mental health. Hi folks, are you having problems with your child at home? Is their behavior a problem? Are you at your wit's end? If so, call us for more information. Community County Services, we provide family-based mental health. Call for information at 371-8066. We work to help you keep your family together in a healthy way. Community County Services, 371-8066. Welcome back to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement. This morning, we have Nick Hoffman. Nick, welcome to Contact. Thank you, Mike. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you, sir. Um, We're going to spend some time talking about you and your book. Uh, He was there all the time. But before we do that, can you just quickly tell us, like, who is Nick Hoffman? Who is Nick Hoffman? He's a Brockway native, born and bred, live in Dubois now. Penn State grad, worked at the Courier Express for 30 years in a number of positions, um, and have been community initiatives coordinator at Verichetti Holdings in Brockway for the last eight years. Yeah, just a wide uh, array of, of, of a background, particularly at the Courier Express after 30 plus years or whatever it might be. You've certainly seen a lot in that industry and have covered a lot of things. Many of our listeners probably have seen your name in print. Probably, or at least one of the photos that I still... <laughs> I don't look like that anymore, but <laughs> I still like to use the photos rather than reality. Right. Um, but we appreciate you coming on. So talk to us about this book. I, I had the pleasure of reading it, and I say this sincerely. As you're listening, listeners, definitely pick up a copy of this book. Um, I got mine on Kindle. I'm a guy who finds time to read in between everything else I do, but great book. Tell us about why you wrote it, what it's about, and we'll we'll go from there in our conversation. Okay, well, it's, it's kind of a weird story because in the 30 years I was at The Courier, from time to time I'd write a column about somebody from my childhood, a Brockway personality or Dubois, uh, usually upon their, their passing. It was sort of like a tribute. And over the years I piled up dozens of these. And I always thought, boy, it'd be nice to condense those into a just nothing but a collection of the columns, no narrative, no book or anything, just a collection. Um, sort of like Mr. Gray did with Reflections, Jason Gray Sr. Right. I never got around to it. It was one of those, one of these days and the days never came. Three years ago, uh, I'm on my annual visit to see my dad in Omaha, Nebraska and his wife. And I came down with a miserable respiratory infection. I literally didn't do anything for two or three weeks. And I was lying in bed one day, and for some reason, the thought of the columns came into my head, and I started writing down the names of some of the people. And something inspired me to, I thought, my goodness, there's an autobiography there. And I started writing narrative to connect where these people fit into my life. And before I knew it, I had this this story, not about me. I mean, It's a Wonderful Life is about what the world would be like if Jimmy Stewart's character had never been born. This is like the flip side, what my life would be like if all those people or any of those people weren't in my life. And it's not just the people I wrote columns about. There are hundreds of others. Um, And it just, I think everybody, if they stop and think about it and look back, 
will realize and appreciate how many people made an impact on their life that still, you know, some people are with you from the cradle to the grave. Other people just a one-time ships that pass in the night. But there's so many people that impact us, and I think we lose touch with just what a compendium of, of uh, effects that we are. Yeah, no, I think that's a great observation. When I finished your book, it did make me think about, well, God did put all these people in my life. Some some good, some bad, even just for that little moment that you're talking about can have a huge impact. It right? can. And, and the, the one was, and I'd known Jack Biss, you know, in a lot of other ways, but that one moment that will always be with me, uh, I was loaded one night at the Iraqi Grill in Brockway, and that's back when you the dining room patrons had to come out to the bar to pay their bill. And I was sitting near that end of the bar, carrying on, ranting, raving. And I'd known Jack all my life. He played baseball with my dad. Uh, and I just happened to wheel around on the stool and looked at him, and he, and he had his head down, shaking it f- from side to side, and he had this mournful look on his face. And we never made eye contact. I don't even know if, as far as I know, he never saw me see him. But the look on his face made a lasting impression because I was disappointing Jack Biss. He was, without saying a word, he was conveying to me, you're making a wreck of your life. You're better than this. And I, I didn't have a come to Jesus moment at that point, but it stuck with me and haunted me. And it's one of the things when I look back that I'm glad Jack Biss was there. I'm glad he and Pat had dinner that night at the Rocky Grill, you know, and don't take this the wrong way, but I'm glad I was, that's the place where I picked to get loaded that night. Right, and, and but it's that moment, right? That, it's that, that moment. little moment. And yeah. just a word, I mean, reading your book, I know some of the people that you mentioned, but one is Mr. Jack Biss, who had an impact on my life, great soccer coach yep. at, at Central. I had the pleasure of playing for him in 1994 and 95. When I read that, I was just uh, smiling that you remember Jack, even just for that moment, because when he was coach, uh, there were times that Michael Clement disappointed him too, and I know that look. I yeah. know it very well. Where yep. you learn instantly, and, and the beauty of it is, Jack Biss didn't go out of his way that day. He didn't get up that that morning and say, "Okay, where am I? I've got to do something to impact Nick Hoffman today." None of those people did. Just by by their interaction with people, the who they were makes the difference. Right. You know, I mean, it, they didn't have to go out of their way to be special people. You know, just in their just the way they lived day to day, and that—that's, I think, so many people miss the opportunity to realize how how unique and special they are, and the capacity they have to influence other people, right, for the good. Yes. You know, we don't we have devalued individuals. It, it's it's sad. It's pathetic that so many people think so little of themselves that they. And obviously, you know, I've been down that road with drugs and alcohol and a bunch of other stuff. Um, people are going to make their choices. You make choices, there are consequences. But there should, there, there should be a discussion. Um, I want to talk to young kids where, where I can and say, you know, I don't want to freeze the world in 1961 and have Mayberry RFD still on, on regular <laughs> right. primetime television. But, hey, I went through, you know, uh, some of the stuff you're going through. Circumstances, details are different, but growing up is, is the same all questions, no answers. Where do I go? Who do I look to for guidance? And uh, it's that way as you grow up. You know, it's 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 almost uh, 
you hate to ask for help because it's a sign of weakness. Right. You know, yeah. and, and you don't want to ask a question that might rock the boat because, you know, we, we put such a high premium on conformity. We don't want individuality. We want conformity. We want people who can't think for themselves. They can't uh, challenge the established order. Just let's, let's just anesthetize them, make them comfortable. You know, so they don't rock the boat, and we don't have to do too much other than keep a smile on their face. You know, and just um, you know, minimize them. Right. I think we could probably talk about that forever as well, which is a great observation by you. Uh, back to Mr. Biss, I can still remember buying my first suit from him to work at the National Republican Senatorial Committee in 2007. I think he's just one of those great iconic men who have is, a and, great and impact on lives. Definitely, and I, I don't think there's anybody who Jack Biss touched that wasn't better for the experience. Right. So I appreciate when just as a former player for him, uh, I greatly appreciated you mention him in your book. You have great stories in your book, though. Uh, one of my favorites, and. I, I guess maybe we should backtrack for a second. Can you share with uh, our listeners, you've been very open about it, you did have what appears to be an alcohol drug problem. If you'll just uh, reflect on that for a few minutes. This show has dedicated some time to want to find out why people are using, how we can be helpful. I think your story is pretty powerful. You know, it, it wasn't on purpose, obviously. It was one of those things I was... I came from a broken home. Mom and dad uh, divorced when I was 10. Um, so I didn't have dad to show me how to throw a baseball or a football, didn't teach me how to ride a bike, didn't teach me how to swim. He and I stayed close, but there was always 1,000 or 1,500 miles between us. Um, I was at that stage where you're growing up and you're searching for that identity and you, you start finding out about yourself and you see what your friends are doing and they're doing things you don't you get to where you want to be them not yourself you don't value yourself your esteem you know hits rock bottom and you want to find a way to fit in everybody wants to fit in and be a part of something that's important it's a basic human need well you know um once i started i was a junior in high school uh march it was a friday night march 3rd 1978 buddy called me up said hey you want to go out and get drunk tonight i said well sure do first time i'd ever done it you know, went out that night, even, you know, smoked a little dope that night, you know, two for the price of one. And it was a thing kids do back then, but it, predisposition, whatever, I went head over heels. And for the next 12 years, you know, I made that, my day, I got to the point where my days revolved around how much time I'd have to spend in a bar. Mm. Everything was, you know, and I never drank at home, very rarely. I didn't have it at home. I needed an audience. I wanted to be a part of something because I felt so isolated and so alone and like no, like I had the worst hand of cards ever dealt to anybody. Nobody had a sorrier story than me. Uh, you know, you pat yourself on the back, poor me, just basic addiction behavior. And, uh, you know, what would have been a normal rite of passage, and I'm not endorsing mom and dad, I'm not endorsing the kids, you know, I've told some kids in classes, you're going to have choices to make. You're going to be confronted with these choices. You need some background as to what the potential consequences are. Um, you know, don't get surprised when you get pulled over and you get that DUI and uh, uh, you lose your license and, you, you know, the implications of it. We all look at the, the fun that we can have when we're a kid and we never think of the price we could pay later on. Um, and I did the same thing with drugs. You know, I smoked, you know, a lot of dope. I did uh, crystal meth uh, quite a bit. I even did a little bit of cocaine. I, you know, I've been down that road. 
Um, and, and you get to finally where it's such a dark, lonely place that even when you're sitting in the middle of people at a bar laughing and having a jolly old time, you're the loneliest person in the world. Mm. You know, right up to the point where I, you know, it wasn't a serious suicide attempt, but it still could have killed me. I just decided to walk down the middle of 219 in an unlit area one night, just right down the center line. I figured, hey, somebody will hit me, and now that'll be the end of it. And one of my friends saw what I was doing and <laughs> grabbed me and, and threw me off to the side and gave me quite the tongue lashing. Uh, but I, I just didn't care because it just hurt too much to, to, to live. And at the same time, I'm functioning in an editing capacity at the paper, and it, it's, it's just so amazing that, I could, that I'm still here today to, to tell any of these stories. Absolutely. You know? I, none of that is in your book, but I think you reflect well on what was going on. I think in the book... One night you said the pol- you know the police came to your apartment right you were already sleeping you had already gotten home yeah that was the, that was up. the night of my second DUI I got home and you know it's it's funny because there was there were some real questions about the the arrest and the process that was used and I I had I retained an attorney and spent a three three thousand dollars with preliminary uh, motions and everything to try to get out of it I was going to beat the system my blood alcohol content was point two seven one. Pretty which high, is, which is three and a half times the legal limit today, and social drinkers don't hit to two seven one. You got to really work hard to get there and cost money. But I called my attorney one day, Jeff Gordon, and asked him, you know, what's the latest on the case. And out of the blue, he said, "Nick, do you have a problem?" Mm. And I wasn't ready for that question, and I blurted out an honest answer: "Yes." And there was an offer on the table from Mark Wallace, who was district attorney in Jefferson County at the time, to, and they had a program in place to do this, where they'd substitute a 30-day inpatient treatment uh, program for the 30-day mandatory jail sentence. And uh, that's what got me into treatment, and that's what turned my life around. Uh, It'll be 30 years on the 21st of September. Wow. Wow. And I would imagine that it is something like you're able to rattle off the dates when you first started drinking and uh, obviously a profound effect that you would know exactly when and where. And just as a side note, as I read your book, our lives seem to intertwine at some levels. Mark Wallish was my uh, state appointed attorney for my adoption. Okay. So I know him too. And so it's just an interesting story. But back to your book, like one of my favorite stories, if you would reflect on it, is uh, you're a big golfer. You're an avid golfer, right. and, and you may not as golf as much today as you once did. But uh, you're out on a golf course with your dad, yep. and something happens. And it it's a to me it's a great story because the discipline and lessons that we learn from people at different moments is highly important. And and my my dad, I if I ever if I could ever be one percent of what my father is, uh, hmm. you know, it'll be an accomplishment. We were in Manhattan, Kansas, at the uh, Colbert course at K-State. Great course. was highly recommended. A bunch of us from Omaha went out, took a two- or three-day trip to to be out there and play it. And I picked that day to play my worst round of the year. I couldn't hit the ball. But, you know, I just – I should have stayed in bed. And it got to me. You know, I expected more. And I – you know, especially when you're 1,300 miles away from home, you you know – and I just, I, I'd had it. I just, you know, temperamental golfer. And uh, on the ninth hole, I, I made a wreck of the hole and sat down in the cart. Dad said, where's your ball? I said, it's up there somewhere. Don't even bother with it. He said, well, did you hit another one? I said, 
no i said just give me a six equitable stroke control and and uh he drove up into the parking lot and he looked at me says you got five minutes to make up your mind whether you're going to play this round and get yourself together or you can take the vehicle back to the hotel and i'll play with the guys but you're not going to ruin this day for everybody i was in my mid-40s at the time right and my dad still saw something that he didn't like and it was the same i mean it was a flashback to the attitude that it's all about me i could have cared less at that point about anybody else having a good time if i wasn't going to have a good time why should anybody else my dad cut me short he says no no you're not going to do that and it 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 really got me and we we ended up playing 36 holes that day had a great time and that night before i went to bed i said to him i said dad thanks Right. You know, thanks for not letting me do what I wanted to do and, and, and fall back into an old an old habit. And, he, and dad has never quit being dad. He's going to be 85 years old and he's still, you know, he's still my dad. But isn't that great? Like, yes, he is your dad, but here you are in your mid 40s. Yeah. We, we all have our moments. Sure. And he still takes the time to And that's pull just you when aside. he's been there all the time, no matter, like I said, we since I was 10, he's always been at least a thousand miles away. You know, but he's exerted the great influence on my life that fathers there are fathers who are in the, under the same roof with their children that never exert that kind of an influence. Right. You know, and I'm blessed to have, you know, a dad like my dad. That uh, And your dad played a huge role. And right? he was, you know, here if when I got the offer to go into 30 day inpatient, dad's in Omaha. I thought, boy, would I love to have him be a part of this. So he called a referral line in Omaha. I said, what's available in the greater Omaha area? woman that went down through the list of what was available got to the end and said hey there's one i want to tell you about that's not here it's out in norton kansas but my son came back from europe from the service drug and alcohol addicted place is called valley hope you might want to check it out it saved his life we got the material from norton ran it by mark wallish larry straight judge henry bill allenbaugh they said good go um and I look back, and, th- and this is what the, the, the really the, the, the leap into the book. 20 years before this moment, my dad left for parts unknown and ended up in Omaha. The time came to make a phone call to a referral line. I have no idea how many people were answering phones that day, but this lady, the only one I'm sure that knew about Valley Hope, answered the phone at the exact time that dad called. Otherwise, we never hear Valley Hope. All the pieces that fell into place in the intervening 20 years, one of the darkest nights of our lives, collectively, either of us, sowed the seeds for what would be one of the greatest triumphs because 20 years later, he and I knelt at the altar at Valley Hope and begged God to save my life, you know, and the miracle miracle came. And all the intervening time, you know, it's amazing. I do not believe in coincidences. I just don't. No, there are no such thing as coincidences. But when we return, we're going to continue our conversation. Contact on Connect FM is brought to you in part by Lifespan Family Services, located in the Dubois Mall for local adoption and foster care services.
Each day in Pennsylvania, there's at least 15,000 children taken from their homes due to abuse or neglect. Foster parents provide homes to these needy children. Lifespan Family Services trains, supports, and compensates foster parents to address this problem. Call Lifespan Family Services today at 375-1314 or drop in at the Dubois Mall or at Lane Avenue in Punxsutawney. Lifespan Family Services, helping people help children every day. 375-1314. Welcome back to Contact on Connect FM. We're having a great discussion with our friend and author, Nick Hoffman. Uh, Nick, I just want to, we've got about four minutes left. If you can just share with us, uh, like your closing thoughts or how you, what would you like the listeners to hear? Well, anybody that's, that's especially young people, but at any age, uh, you know, because addiction is no respecter of persons, age, ethnicity, whatever. If you need help, if you think you need help, reach out to somebody. You know, if at the very least, if nobody else or if you think nobody else cares about you, I do because I've been in that position, you know, and it's not easy. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, hey, you know, it's a piece of cake. It's not. It takes work. It takes dedication. It takes sacrifice. But don't get so far gone and so far down that you think you don't matter because you do matter. I was up at Tynesta not long ago talking to a group of at-risk youth, and we were having a question and answer session, and one young man, probably 18 years old, uh, asked me straight out, he said, am I an accident? Nobody should have to ask that question or feel so far gone that they have to ask that question because they think their life doesn't matter. Your life matters. And you've got to give yourself a chance to develop the potential and if you're behind the eight ball in addiction, there are plenty of outlets and avenues that, that can help you get through it. And I want to encourage, you know, it's going to be my life's work from here on out. I want to incorporate, I want to talk to as many people, especially young people as I can, to make them aware that life is worth living. You know, I had right. a lot of potholes. I hit a lot of potholes, ruined a lot of suspensions in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm still here. And here's the thing. I'll close on this. If I had the chance to change any of that, and it meant that I wouldn't be where I'm at today, doing this show, living the life I'm living, I wouldn't change it because that's who I am. And that's the, the testimony that the name of the book, He Was There All the Time, is proven by, by the way that turned out. Yeah, no, and I think the book is powerful. I want to encourage people to read it. Uh, quickly, if you can tell us where they can get a copy of that. Uh, Dutch Pantry Family Restaurant, uh, uh, H.W. Book Peddlers at the Mall, Brockway Drug, uh, Sunrise Coffee Bar in Brockway, or they can just uh, email me, and, and I've got some copies that we can arrange to get to them. Uh, L-A-R-O-A-C-H-1-1 at hotmail.com. And yes, La Roche is a reference to that evil substance i used to uh, s- to smoke and always burned the tips of my fingers doing mm. it well we will be uh <laughs> we'll definitely share uh that information so people can reach out to us either here at contact or reach out to you directly nick we want to thank you for coming on and thank you uh, sharing your story and giving us some lessons and just um, going down memory lane too but i definitely want to encourage my uh, listeners to get a copy it was a great book and i thoroughly enjoyed it we uh, greatly enjoyed your time i appreciate you making the time for us i appreciate it it's uh, like i said we we collectively as as people need to talk to each other and get away from this this generation gap stuff this ethnicity this gender 
we're all on the same boat. We don't have a we don't have another option. This is what we got. We've got to make it work. Right. You know, and it takes communication to do that. And it takes a little bit of empathy and and caring and we're all capable of it. You know, we've got to take time to do it. We've got to invest in each other. Well, we appreciate it, sir. Nick Hoffman, author of He Was There All the Time. Thank you for coming on, and we'll see you next week on Contact. Thank you very much.